0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Oh my goodness, people. It's been a long time since I really had my voice and actual open time to do a show that I feel like perhaps I can be a little bit more proud of. Look, I'll be straight with you guys. Uh I wasn't super proud of the last like f- 5 or 6 episodes of Fantasy NBA today. But look, the thing is you got to do them. You got to get them done. Uh they people are relying on it. And so the the Iron Man streak must go on. Uh but at the same time, um you know, I, with the dead voice and all that, it, it wasn't it wasn't very good. But I got my voice back. I have a little bit of childcare coverage today, which is wild and marvelous. And so now we can just uh, do a show. Let's have a little fun, shall we? Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. I'm Dan Vespers. Thanks as always everybody for tuning in and enjoying or just tolerating another fantasy basketball episode. And this one, of course, we'll just kind of recap a Monday that was seven games deep. Anything that comes up along the way, we've got, I'm sure, a few storylines that'll take us down. These delightful tangential discussions, the wild and woolly New Orleans Pelicans, certainly one of them. Uh, A little bit of of player news already from uh, earlier today and uh, we'll just work our way through it. So let's dive in. Oh, by the way, we're also going to very much... uh, I'd I'd love to say that we're not going to have a ton of promo on today's show, but we're going to have some promo on today's show because I pretty much haven't done any thanks to dead voice or no coverage for, like, the last six episodes. So you guys got that little bonus, and now you can say bye-bye, little bonus, because we got sponsors we got to please, and we can't just... Shelve them for that long. But I'll slip that in the middle of the program. For now, I do just want to welcome you guys to the show. I hope you guys will follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D A N B E S B R I S, is the Twitter handle. We will continue to do all sorts of stuff over on the social media side of the equation. I want to try to uh, also kind of tighten things up a little bit. Not that uh, you guys don't enjoy long, meandering, winding discussions, but this is actually the case for social and for uh, I guess it's a, it's social and and the pod where uh, sometimes I feel like we just get sidetracked by things that are not super fantasy relevant. Like if if I was going to look at last night's card, let's just take this first game for instance: uh, Brooklyn beat Cleveland one twenty-five one seventeen. Me saying something to you like, "Oh, Kyrie Irving at thirty-two, four and five with seven three pointers," that's uh, fun, I guess. Like, it's a good game for him, but from a fantasy relevance standpoint, there isn't much because Kyrie he's a top fifteen per game guy, and he's not really going anywhere. You know, he's a guy that's that's pretty much universally rostered in fantasy sports. He puts up big lines, and fine. Same general story with Kevin Durant. I like to mention him more than others because he was kind of our main guy. He was the, hey, what happens if you don't get Nikola Jokic to start your draft? Here on this podcast, we leaned hard into Kevin Durant. And right now, he's dunking on everyone on the total side. And he's number two per game behind the uh, currently injured Anthony Davis. So yeah, we mentioned KD a little bit more than the average bear. But I think what I'd like to do, and if it means slightly shorter podcast, it means slightly shorter podcast. I just, I want to focus on the stuff that is changeable, like a delta. The term delta, uh, I don't want to just assume that everybody knows what it means. It's, it tends to mean change. Delta means change. So if there's a change in something, valuation, uh, health status would be another one. That's what I really want to focus on. And then that would allow us more time on these podcasts to go on some of those little tangential discussions, things that I think actually have value. Maybe it's just to me hearing my own voice, but I think some of you guys like it. And that's the way we get there. So not spending a ton of time talking about things that everybody already knows. Instead, plowing through that stuff quickly, focusing on the Delta, and then giving us more time to focus on the other interesting stories or interesting just strategic elements of all of this. So let's try it out on today's show. Let's see how it goes here. So like we said, Brooklyn beat Cleveland, 125-117. The delta in this ballgame, I believe on the Brooklyn side, focuses on two key players. One of them is Royce O'Neal, who has seen his uh, his shooting percentage tick back up a little bit after kind of a uh, about a four-week downturn. But he's also seen his rebounding... His passing, his steals, and his blocks, those have all continued in a downward direction. So even though he's not shooting, you know, 32% or whatever he was doing for like four weeks there, if you look at Royce's last two weeks, he's shooting 60%, but he's still outside the top 150 because there just haven't been any boards, no assists, no steals, half a block, and that's just not going to get it done. So... I believe he falls back more into that schedule stream department. O'Neal, I don't think you have to roster him right now. I think you can use him when Brooklyn has a better schedule. The other one is TJ Warren, who played 27 minutes in yesterday's ballgame. And I probably should have done this this big lookup before hitting the record button on today's podcast. But I feel fairly confident in saying that's the most minutes he's played in an NBA game since December of 2020. Yes, Seth Curry was out. Yes, Joe Harris was also out. But you started to see the outlines of what T.J. Warren used to be. Which remember, he was like he was an old man squad favorite way back when. His his Indiana season, 20 points, four boards. I mean, that was that was amazing. 54% from the field, probably not a repeatable number, but whatever. He's at 56% so far this year. We don't need him to get to 32, 33 minutes per game. In fact, there's, there's almost no chance that that happens. But if you recall, and you go back to that season, which that was uh, that was the 1920 season. Um, remember bubble T.J. Warren? That was crazy. So if you go all the way back, 2019, 2020, that's three seasons back. Forget the one where he played a couple of ball ballgames uh, and then disappeared. T.J. Warren was a top 40 fantasy play in starters minutes. If you peel off, call it like 20% of that. Go from 33 minutes down to like 26, 27. He's still a startable fantasy play. What if the field goal percent comes down also? Well, that's something that you might have to concern yourself with. But 20% coming off here for Warren, you're still talking, could he average 15 points? I don't know, maybe. A three-pointer. Three and some odd rebounds, although he probably plays maybe even more towards the front court. So perhaps the rebounding is better. Because Remember, that, that season in Indiana, he was the small forward. That was a Miles Turner, Damanis Sabonis duo situation there. Assists are never going to be all that high. Steals are actually kind of decent for him. Peel that down to, I don't know, 0. .9, 0. .4 blocks, something like that. Good free throw percent, low turnovers. There's a lot of reason, I think, to make kind of a, it's almost like a preemptive ad on Warren, because there's no guarantee that anything's going to work out in his favor. He does actually have kind of decent numbers. The last three ball games in a row, he's actually top 50 in 23 minutes per game. And yeah, that you know the steals, the rebounds. That's a, c- sort of an unsustainable rate in only 23 minutes per ball game. But again, let's say that that does tick up towards 26 or 27, he's probably a top 80, 90 range kind of guy maybe even a little bit better. So I would say the first big piece of information, the first big delta here on today's podcast is go pick up TJ Warren. On the head-to-head side, it's going to be a tougher ad because he's going to skip back-to-backs probably the entire season, if I had to put my... if I had to guess. But let's say that KD takes a game off or Simmons takes a game off or O'Neill takes a game off. You can see that now they're starting to funnel a few more minutes towards Warren, and his body was able to handle them in this particular ballgame. Yeah, one game, small sample size. We don't know if his body's going to be able to hold up on that type of thing longer term, but it's worth getting out in front of it, I believe. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. No deltas at all on the Cleveland side. See how we did that? Just rock right past them. Clippers beat the Pistons in overtime. Somehow, I mean, this was a, a ridiculous performance. Clippers were down like, what, 10 with three minutes left, and then they won by 11. They outscored Detroit by, like, 20 points in in the final three minutes of regulation and overtime. Well, regardless, um, Nick Batum, another quietly useful Roto game. Another one where he was a plus 23. In a game that Paul George, by the way, who had a huge ball game, he was a minus 7. His units... John Wall was a minus 26 in this one. The units where those guys were a part of it, they were getting stomped by Detroit. But luckily... Batum of the bench brigade brought him back into it. I like Nick Batum a lot. Uh, I think you guys are probably going to then say, well, Dan, what should I do? Should I add Nick Batum or add TJ Warren? Uh, I really do think it depends on your format. I think Batum is an easier add in head-to-head because he's playing in back-to-back games, even if the minutes are eh, somewhat depressed in some of them, like they had that scheduled L against Phoenix earlier this month where Batum only played 10 minutes. But for the most part... He's been around 25 to 30. It seems like Batum actually plays better when Kawhi is in there because they're able to go to that sort of star-studded lineup. They can run a little bit small. They can move Marcus Morris to the five. They can move Batum to the five. Uh, We'll get a pretty good look at that tonight, actually, in Toronto, um, because I think you'll see everybody in there besides John Wall. And what does that mean for Ivica Zubots? He's had a couple good games in a row. He had the Embiid game where he needed to play more. This one, he didn't necessarily need to play more. He just played relatively well. Team high 41 minutes for Zubots. Against the Detroit team, they had, does run a relatively large front court, but it's not like Jalen Duran and Isaiah Stewart are big post move threats where they needed Batum to go deal with those guys. They probably needed him to help with the rebounding side. Because Durin's an excellent rebounder. We're seeing that here in his, in his very young NBA career. So I think the answer to the, on the Zubats question is, we don't really know yet. I'm still leaning towards him more as a schedule stream type of play. he had been trending down for about six consecutive weeks prior to having two better ballgames in a row. Not monster games, but better ones. So what does that average out to? Still not great. Luke Kennard, another delta. I think he's solidified himself as a three-point streaming threat. He might actually get the day off. We'll wait and see on that one. He'd been skipping some back-to-backs. I know they've been going kind of easy on him, but he's unbelievable from three-point range. He's a nice guy to stream threes on because he doesn't hurt your percentage. And I think that's pretty much the only deltas with the Clippers. We'll see Kawhi Leonard back in the lineup tonight. On the Detroit side, no real deltas either. Um, I guess we could talk a little bit about Isaiah Stewart. We had just talked about him being probably more of a schedule stream type of play on our last podcast. And Then he came out and he was like, screw you, Dan, I'm better than that. But, meh, I don't really think he is. This one had overtime written on it. He shot 8 of 10 from the field. That's not going to happen every day. We saw the steals and the blocks were higher than usual. Even the schedule stream plays, it's something that's really hard to remember in the one-game sample part of all of this adventure, this fantasy adventure we go on every year, the thing that's hard to remember is you have to average this game out with the other ones. They're not all going to be like this. And there'd been a lot of games in a row where he was more like a top 200 kind of place. He was actually kind of due for a, you know, top 50, top 60 type of line where you pair that up with the top 200s and he's more of a schedule stream. I'm not adding Sadiq Bay. I'm not adding Alec Burks. I think if you really wanted to stream those guys when Detroit has a back-to-back or three games and four nights, you could probably do it, but whatever. like There's typically better options out there. Uh, and then Jalen Duran just continues to truck along. He's probably a guy we don't even really have to talk about right now. That's how good he's been. Nas Reid played 29 minutes for the Wolves. He's seeing a lot of playing time, even with Rudy Gobert back. I really wish I had the confidence to say when he he would definitely get enough minutes to be fantasy relevant. It's kind of hard to know. If Jalen Noel was playing better, maybe he would have seen more time. The Wolves are cut down uh, in terms of their rotation right now. I mean, they're playing former Lakers game-saving three-point shooter Matt Ryan uh, 14 minutes. They're they're badly missing Cat. They're missing Kyle Anderson at the moment. So there's a few things going on there. But in terms of Delta... Head-to-head side, I love Nasrid as a pickup, because then you don't really care. If you get one game where he plays 20 minutes, and then the next one he plays 26, and then he plays 18, and then he plays 29, it doesn't really matter. Roto games cap side, you want to make sure you try to catch lightning in a bottle and play him on the day where he gets the big minutes, but that's kind of impossible to know. And then with Austin Rivers, this was kind of the like the middling expectation that we all should have had for him as a starter. But he went big for a few games, then he completely disappeared, and now he's like, this is what I am, guys. Average it out. Here's your average middle game. So no, I'm not all that a fan. I'm not using a Roto Games cap on Austin Rivers. I don't think I can use one on Nas Reed as much as I wish that I had the confidence to say, yes, the next one he's going to play 24, 25 minutes again or more. But head-to-head wise, it's a much easier call with those types of plays. Nas, Rivers, slow-mo when he comes back. He probably profiles as both sides, but he's had a bad back. He's been under the weather. It's a whole thing with him. No Jimmy Butler on the Miami side. He's listed as questionable for the next ballgame tomorrow. So what does that mean for everybody else? Well, we thought Victor Oladipo might consistently pick up those minutes, and now we're seeing that that's not really the case. Uh, The Oladipo thing was a situation where you kind of wanted to get out in front of it in case it stuck, but it hasn't. So I think we can probably move on there. He's not going to play in back-to-back, so he doesn't even make sense as a schedule stream. The hope was that he could be more of a Roto games cap kind of guy. Uh, but I don't think that we can trust him in that regard either. And that's also kind of the story for a guy like Caleb Barton, a guy like Max Struess. Struess had the better fill in game here. Sometimes it's Martin. Sometimes it's Oladipo. Sometimes it's Gabe Vincent. When you get into a situation where sometimes it's three or four different guys, you could make, again, an easier argument to just throw him in there on the head to head side and say, hey, you know, hopefully, you know, the back to back or whatever it is, they, one of these games is a good one, even if the other one's a bad one. But roto, you got to make sure the plays, your game's cap is getting used on good ones, and it's not consistent enough. Jakob Purtle finally showed up, sixteen and nine, two steals, four blocks. We've been waiting a long time for more of a Jacobian line. Uh, this big one pushed him up to number eighty-two on the season. He's now at one point one blocks per game, so he still kind of got a ways to go there before he gets up where we were expecting him to be. Uh, to that end, I, it's probably not a buy low anymore. I don't know that the Spurs are ever going to get him up to 30 minutes. I'm a little concerned. I know that the ramp up here has been slow, and you can do that when you're trying to lose ball games, but they sort of accidentally won this one. And now Keldon Johnson's probably going to rest the other half of their back-to-back, and maybe someone else turns out to be missing late towards the back-to-back. <sighs> Spurs, they are an annoying one right now. But let's we got to make sure we we see this thing through. So Pirtle, uh, I think you start him every day. Now that he's up at 24 minutes, it should be enough. Obviously against some teams more than others. Keldon Johnson didn't destroy percentages for a night. Could he be on the cusp of finally not being horrendous in those departments? I'm not. I don't feel confident in saying so. Which hurts so bad when you look back at last year. And he shot 47% from the field and 76% at the free throw line. And this year, he's at 41.5% from the field and 73% from the free throw line. The field goal percent has been particularly unnerving. And I just, oh, soul-crushing. I don't know. Roto's side, I don't know if you can play him. I don't know if you can play him on any side. But at least, you know, if he mixes in a decent one every once in a while, that makes it... A little easier to stomach. Uh, Devin Vassell was better in this one. He had some percentages issues as well, but that tends to level off a little bit better for him. Not adding Malachi Branham. I know it's a nice ball game, but 11 shots, 20 points. That's probably not happening most nights. And then Jeremy Sohan, who had two big ones in a row, cooled off a bit here. Kind of as expected. It's hard to tell because for first nine and a half weeks of the season his fantasy game didn't really seem to be developing and then all of a sudden it was like oh this guy can do a little bit of everything and the reason that we had to be proactive with a guy like Sohan is that you just sort of don't know he's so young that fantasy games can change on a week-to-week basis if you picked him up as I did in two spots not many he remains a luxury stash. I'm not playing him against my game's cap. And again, whatever. Like, if he's on your team, you play him. But I, I think he profiles in that same kind of thing. At least on the luxury stash side, he is starting to see more minutes now. So we'll get, I think, a better idea of what Zohan's fantasy game is, hopefully in the next one, two, three weeks, something like that. Remember, it doesn't, it doesn't happen in one game. That's good. I don't think you're missing out on much if you didn't add him. If you did, probably watch it for a little bit longer. I am pleased by what I saw out of Mike Conley on the Utah side. He was one that I was actually watching pretty closely uh, going into the weekend because he just hadn't done anything besides steer the boat for the Jazz. And in this one, he was like, you know what? I'm going to do a little bit more than steer the boat. I'm actually going to get involved in the, the Carnival Cruise games. 17 points, 5 boards, 6 assists, 3 steals, a block, 5 three-pointers. Really nice game for Conley. And that makes me feel much more comfortable in just dumping him into lineups if he's actually going to be a bit more of a part of things. Colin Sexton. I got a bunch of Colin Sexton questions. I wasn't going to talk about him, but no, he's not an ad. 23 minutes is definitely not enough with the way that he builds fantasy value. We know the Jared Vanderbilt story at this point. A huge one, two or three really quiet ones. so We probably got a big one coming up. And then Walker Kessler had foul trouble early. Finally, his first slow ball game in like three weeks. Don't panic. It's going to be fine. He's young. Bad things are going to happen. He's not a good foul shooter. He happened to get to the line more often, which also isn't good for him. So just hang on. It'll be okay. Malik Beasley did start the second half in this game for Walker Kessler. And maybe that was a way to kind of preserve the foul issues on his side. Uh, Beasley took 16 shots. He's, to me, very close to falling back into schedule stream zone. And frankly, if that's the way you wanted to use him, I'd be totally okay with it. Because that crazy heater he went on, remember that stretch where he had like five games and he hit like 43 pointers or something stupid? Uh, That's not happening every day. Duh. Because we know that type of thing doesn't last all year. Didn't last for Tim Hardaway Jr. either, although both those guys are weirdly similar. And I have the same feelings about both, which is, eh, one or two games, I kind of want to hold them, and then one or two games, I kind of want to not. I think you can hang on to Beasley a little bit longer. His minutes were better in this one, but, oh boy, Kelly Olenek comes back at some point soon. That probably carves a little bit out of everybody's stuff. Just be proactive again there. I, I like... You're not getting that much out of Beasley, even if you moved on early. Eric Gordon set to sit out of back-to-back, so, uh, and then K.J. Martin, I think, is actually questionable right now. Um, but if he plays, which now I'm seeing maybe he's more likely to play than not, that's the latest report here, then he's probably a pretty good fill-in for Gordon. And then everything else is sort of no delta on that Houston side, other than everybody having a big game against Chicago. Who didn't have a big game? Bulls, total letdown mode on this one. DeMar DeRozan seemed to be awake enough for it, but Vooch wasn't. He played like he was intoxicated, which meant Andre Drummond got a few extra minutes. Yuck. You're not picking up Kobe White. You're not adding Patrick Williams, even though I do love his fantasy game. He's, again, one high-usage player away from having enough to do, but a usage rate of 11 uh, just ain't enough. I need a more consistent number out of Patrick if I'm taking that plunge, I do wish I could, but I can't. I didn't expect this one. New Orleans blows out Indiana without half of their team. No Zion, no Brandon Ingram, no Trey Murphy. I mean, they were like, you figured this was going to be uh, competitive or uh, Indiana had a pretty good shot to steal this one. And the Pacers just got smoked and it's not super clear why other than just like straight hustle. Pelicans outworked them. 54 rebounds to 36. That was the big difference in the ballgame because neither team shot all that well. Neither team had a bunch of turnovers. Free throw numbers were relatively tight. Pelicans just had a bunch more possessions. Seven more shots, four more free throws. That'll get it done. That's basically like having nine extra possessions in a ballgame. So anyway, what do we do with all of this? Well, on the Indiana side, you throw the box score out. I was hoping we could get some more data on Aaron Nismith, but not in a blowout loss. What do we do on the Pelican side? Well, Najee Marshall feels like a relatively safe stream, although the report this morning is that Zion and possibly Trey Murphy could be back for the next ballgame, which means Jackson Hayes, (laughs) bye-bye. I don't know if that means, I would assume it means Marshall also shifts back to the bench, and so Zion and Murphy slot in as the power forward and small forward, and that would keep Jose Alvarado as the starting point guard, but he's much more of a steals stream only. Marshall's been good enough even coming off the bench because the minutes have been high enough for him. And then Larry Nance Jr., who, as we've talked about a thousand times on this pod, only plays well in competitive ballgames. This one wasn't competitive. Nance was a plus 25 in a game they won by 20, so he was part of the units that were crushing and then they were just like, all right, Larry, we don't really need you late. Because typically, in a closer ball game, he plays the last six or seven minutes. He's the closing unit guy. So when it's not close, he doesn't get fourth quarter minutes. It sucks, but that's the way it is. Some guys that get six minutes per quarter are, you know, like a guy that comes in at the five-minute mark of the first quarter and then plays the first seven minutes of the second and kind of does the same thing, like a traditional bench guy. Nance is not that. His minutes are staggered so that he has energy to come in for the final six. If it's really competitive, maybe eight minutes of the ballgame. If it's a little bit less competitive, maybe he gets in there for the final four or five. But, like, I mean, that's the difference for him between 22 and, like, 27 minutes per ball game. But if he doesn't see those fourth quarter minutes, he's going to be down around 18, 19, 20. And that's where you get under the bar with him. But we know he's good enough. Overall, 22, 23 minutes is all it takes for Nance that he remains a hold. You have to. I also think he probably was playing through a little bit of something in this ballgame as well. If Zion and Trey Murphy are indeed good enough to go tomorrow, you start them. And then finally, Portland beats Charlotte. Uh, No real delta on the Portland side. Dame had a slower ballgame, but who cares? Uh, Jeremy Grant had a big one, so an opportunity to sell and still aim for that 50 mark. Yusuf Nurkic had a bigger ballgame as well. I don't think anybody even knows what Nurkic's ranking is right now. What if I stopped you and I was like, what do you think Yusuf's ranked on the year? The actual number is number 79 on a per-game basis. He's right around top 80 after this giant ball game, He was actually outside the top 90 prior to this huge one. Um, and that's probably where he kind of bounces back and forth to. Charlotte, another god-awful shooting game for Terry Rozier. Although... As we blitz through this thing, um another down game for Gordon Hayward. I know you guys are going to kill me, but I don't care. I don't care, man. I like I have to have the takes that I have. I'm not going to I'm not going to bend to peer pressure. I can't do it. I just don't think Gordon Hayward is a 12 team guy this year. His percentages have been bad, his turnovers have been high, not so much in this ball game. He doesn't get any steals and blocks, although he did have two in this one for whatever reason, but he just, he looks slow. I, it's weird. You got to watch. Please watch the games live. Any, uh, to me, anybody that's yelling at me that, like, I got to hold Gordon Hayward is someone that hasn't actually watched him play this year. Because I liked Gordon Hayward as a late draft pick coming into the season. I thought he had a nice opportunity with uh, LaMelo Hurt coming into the year, and Miles Bridges out for probably most of, if not all of the season. I don't want it to go down that route, although he might be signing a contract here in the not-too-distant future. I thought hey, Hayward had an opportunity to put up some numbers, and then he was just, he was bad. And I thought, what the hell's going on here? So I put on a bunch of Charlotte games, because I, I wanted to watch Dennis Smith Jr. early in the season also. And Hayward looks slow. He has minimal elevation. Not that he's like a big jumper anyway, but there's just like... He looks stout. His hair is weird. He used to have that fierce haircut. Now he's like kid rolled out of bed and was late for fourth grade haircut. There's just like something wrong with Gordon Hayward, and I don't know what it is, but that's why he's number 190 people. It's not like he's close. He's a disaster. 15 points. People are like, oh, he scores 15, 16 points a game. That's average. There is one statistical category right now where Gordon Hayward is above Fantasy League average and its assists at 3.9. And that's by, like, a nose. He's, like, 0.7 assists above. Sorry, people. That's how I feel. I've watched a lot of Hornets basketball, for better or worse. Meanwhile, P.J. Washington now, he built on that big game against the Lakers with another good one, he's pushed himself back inside the top 100 somehow. So, I mean, if you held on to him, great. Keep going. If you didn't, add him for the heater and just kind of see how it goes. And then I want to talk about Terry Rozier. And I don't know that we necessarily saved a ton of time here on the podcast. I tried to go quicker, but we're still a half an hour into this thing. And I still forgot to do my damn promos. Son of a bee. All right, I want to talk about Terry Rozier, but I got to do a promo first. So please, people, I beg of you check out our buddies at manscaped.com. I know Christmas has passed. I know people don't really give presents for New Year's, but maybe there's someone in your life who's particularly hairy, and you're just like, you know what? Your New Year's resolution is to clean your act up, you disgusting hairy monster. They can do it with manscaped.com, and you can give them a little hint hint by buying them something at Manscaped. You can even ask them to Venmo you back because it's not that pricey. The Lawn Mower 3.0. Screw the 4.0. I love you, Manscaped, but screw the 4.0. I love the 3.0 the most. It's on sale from 80 down to 70. Our coupon code Ethos20 will drop another 14 bucks off of that. That brings it down to just $56. And our promo code wipes out shipping. So I'll send it to you gratis. You don't have to pay for postage. $56 bucks plus tax. I'm sure there's tax in there because that's the way things operate. 56 bucks plus tax. You'll get the best sideburn trimmer, hair trimmer that you have ever used in your existence. You will not need another. It comes, I believe, uh with a warranty. There's even a 30-day money-back guarantee if you really hate what you got, but you won't, because this damn thing's great. And the skin safe technology, that's what they call it. But pinch-free. The Lawnmower 3.0, I've I've used it for like two full years now and I have not been pinched one time. That's nuts! I've used the 4.0, and I have gotten pinched a couple of times. Not nearly as many as like something you'd get at the store, and the 4.0 actually is a, a closer shave, so that's probably why. But I actually prefer the 3.0. I don't need it to be super tight. If I want a super tight shave, I'll use one of their straight razors. I'll use the, the plow. You can also get that at manscaped.com. But if I'm just sideburn trimming, shaping, doing all that work, bringing it in pretty damn tight, The lawnmower 3.0, best damn cyber trimmer you will ever see. Manscaped.com, the website. Ethos 20, the promo code, 20% off free shipping. Go check them out right now. Uh, Shout out as well, and we'll keep this part of the promo shorter, to thrivefantasy.com. Promo code there is Ethos. They'll give you a 100% deposit match up to $250. And expressvpn.com slash hoopball, the old site name. You get 15 months for the price of 12. We'll tell you more about them first thing next week. All right, so I I want to talk about Terry Rozier for a minute. So I did a little bit of a deep dive on Rozier this morning because I was I got a couple questions. People were pissed because he's stunk also. Um, he hasn't been Gordon Hayward bad. Rozier is number 150 in 9-cat. Um, and he's actually above league average in scoring, in threes, in assists, in free throw percent. Okay, if you're just like, the, all these guys on Charlotte all suck together. Um, no, not really. But he's been so far below league average in field goal percent that I had to look a little bit deeper to find out what could actually be going on with Terry Rozier. And the short answer is, it's unclear. It's not really clear. But just from a straight numbers standpoint, Terry Rozier is way down in two-point field goal percent from the last two seasons. He's down in three-point field goal percent from basically every single year of his pro career. And he's way down in steals, uh, the lowest steals rate of any season of his career. And like I said, I've watched a lot of Hornets basketball. He doesn't look slow to me. He just looks off. In a way where Gordon Hayward, watching him play, he looks slow and off. Terry Rozier just looks off. The shots aren't dropping. Not really all that clear why. Now, you could make a case that all three of those numbers will just stay down all season long. And it's possible. That might be the case. I can't, with 100% certainty, say that any of them is going to come back up because Rozier has had a two-point field goal percent similar to the one he has this season in the not-that-recent past. In fact, his first year with Charlotte, he shot about 44% from two-point range, and that's about where he's at this year. The big difference, and the one I think where we should feel the most comfortable, is that he really hasn't shot this poorly from three-point land in forever. Are his attempts more difficult? Possibly. Remember, he was kind of the last man standing for that team for a while. Uh, And so maybe that played a role in it. Now they've got LaMelo Ball back at some point. Maybe Miles Bridges. I don't really want to think about that. I don't really want them to have him back, but we have to at least throw the possibility out there. But for now, the Hornets are closer to healthy, and LaMelo in particular is a guy that's going to make sure that Rozier's looks are a little bit better. And we could say, okay, well, Gordon Hayward looks like a mess, so maybe he's not helping Rosier as much. But Hayward missed most of the last two seasons anyway for whatever reason. So I don't think that we can really say that Hayward had any has any significant impact on what Rozier is doing night to night. And then the Steels number, that's the one I think we probably need to feel the most comfortable with. He's never had a year where he's gotten this few takeaways in a ballgame. And the beauty of the Steels situation, if you want to call it that, I mean, it's, it's, I guess it's more of a silver lining than anything else, is that, first of all, Rosier missed like 10 games, uh, eh, was it seven or eight games earlier this year? So there's still an opportunity for him to level off a little bit. And all it really takes is like two big steals games, and the whole thing just vanishes. Like, think of it, think of it from this standpoint. Um... Terry Rozier is at what? 0.7 steals per game right now? 0.7 steals per game in 24 ball games. It's probably easier for us to actually just look at how many total steals he has. I don't know what that is. It's like 19 or something. 17. He has 17 steals so far this year. In 24 ball games. You want him to get over one steal per game. You want him to get back where he's been throughout his entire NBA career. Basically every time he's played. 22 minutes or more he's had one steal or higher even if you get him back to the low water mark which was his first season in charlotte where he had one steal in 34 minutes per game right now he's at 0.7 in 36 minutes per game let's say you just need him to get back to one steal you guys can do the math on this one right with me it's pretty straightforward he's at 17 steals in 24 ball games he could have eight steals in his next ball game and it would be one steal per game or if you want to make life a little bit less insane, how about over his next six ball games, He needs 13 steals. That feels pretty doable, doesn't it? Then suddenly he's at one steal per game. That's how quickly that could level off. The shooting stuff is a little bit more complicated, um, but the three-pointers at 32%, he hasn't been that low since the second year of his NBA career in Boston, where he really wasn't even playing all that much. Since that year, he's shot 38%, 35%, 41 39 37 and now 32 So, odds are, at least one of those things comes back for Rozier. Steals, probably the most likely, 3.%, probably the second most likely, 2.%, maybe, maybe not. Call that one a coin flip. So, if you're saying there's a 50-50 shot, even on the least likely of the three... And maybe even a tiny bit better than that for the others, you could do like a weird probabilistic thing and say, uh, okay, well, you know, what are the odds that all three flip heads at the same time? Well, that would say, you know, a half times a half times a half. That gets you to about 13%. But they're not necessarily independent of each other. So instead, I think what you have to do is say, if I'm going to buy low on Terry Rozier, I'm going to do so with the expectation that if any of these things goes the right way, I'm. I get him inside the top 100. And it's actually the flip on the math. So you say, okay, what are the odds that all three come up negative? 13%. So the opposite of that, which is 87%, is the chance that any of the three come back towards uh, in a positive direction. 87%, and I, in my eyes, chance that one, any one of those three, comes back in a positive direction. And you could do the same thing with two. Well, okay, well, what are the odds that, like, two don't and one does? Anyway, we're not going to go down that path on the podcast. Safe to say that if one thing comes back, he probably moves inside the top 100. If two things come back, he probably moves inside the top 70. And if all three come back, well, then he's Terry Rozier from last year, and he's a top 40 play again. Now our job is to figure out what it's going to take to get him and we'll do that over on social media. So come join me over there at Dan Vespers, Folks, have a wonderful Tuesday. So nice to be able to do a normal podcast with all of you again. I am at Dan Vesperus. I'm also just Dan Vesperus without an at symbol in front. It's true. I'm real. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a Sports Ethos presentation. We'll talk to you tomorrow morning. So long, everybody.